Hi, and welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Award podcast, where we look at the various films nominated for various categories of MTV Movie Awards and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost kissing expert. And today, we are getting back on track after a very fun detour last week and looking at Best Kiss 2013. How are you today, Ben? I'm doing really, really well. Um, This was like, I don't know if you have the same feelings, but this was a great year to come back on because I feel like like none of these movies, in my opinion, like were bad. Um, like this is probably the week where I think I, I've shuffled my like best movie list around the most. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a year. I mean, I'll say there's definitely some movies I like more than others this year, but but not but yeah, none of them are like me going. Oh, like I'm mad I watched this. Like there's. Certainly some things I think some of the movies could have done better, but uh, on the whole, like, yeah, pretty fun week, and also just an interesting one after a um, straight month of Twilight movies to cover. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we mentioned it before, but we do, we do not want to take away from Twilight Breaking Dawn's part two's achievement of winning Best Shirtless Performance, Taylor Lautner. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And he beat out another one of our contenders this week. Um, uh, not a contender, but a, he's from this from the same movie. Um, Seth MacFarlane's Ted. Yeah, um, I have a lot of questions <laughs> about the decision to nominate Seth maybe, MacFarlane's performance maybe, as a shirtless teddy bear for best. This just feels like they ran over people. Like, yeah, maybe maybe 20, uh, 2013 or twenty twelve more specifically just wasn't like. Wait a minute. Why is why is um Jamie Foxx not even nominated? He's shirtless in in Django Unchained. He's not even not even nominated. And he, Ted got over that. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. God. Tiska tisk Hollywood. Come on, you know. Yeah, come on. It's, it's twenty thirteen. <laughs> like we. Got... <laughs> oh, you'd think by then, you know. Yeah. One. <laughs> Oh. One day we'll yeah. maybe get to looking at the best shirtless performances here. There's something where I'm like, <laughs> can we do something most desirable, best shirtless? And then I'm like, oh, I guess we're not a really horny podcast, so we can probably get away with it. Just Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, but we still got a lot of kisses. And I mean, assumingly other categories we'd want to cover first before we get to this point so uh yeah the 2013 mtv movie awards were held on april 14th oh that is early for them wow yeah 2013 like usually it's june or may like the huh they're trying to get it out early i guess yeah just spring the spring like come in ahead of that season the show was hosted by rebel rebel wilson so Pitch Perfect, I assume, is like tearing up like the, you know, charts. Like has, I think it was 2012, but like was probably a big sensation. Um, oh yeah, it got, it won, it got four nominations and won two. Um, 
movie of the year oh. that year was The Avengers. So at least unlike the movie yeah. of the front, we're pretty squarely on Blockbuster Zone. Though Django, Silver Linings Playbook, and Ted all get movie of the year nominations. Yeah, definitely. They're definitely getting represented. And like, not surprisingly, like, it's, there's some, they're good movies. Um, uh, yeah. And then also like the, um, the, the Kiss nominations are also spread out pretty evenly um, among the other categories, like, um, like a uh, best fight as well as like best villain and stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely something, and oh, yeah, we haven't talked about this, but eventually we're going to just get to overlap where we talk about the same movie on different podcast episodes, so I think that's where, like, looking at different aspects of it helps us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Instead of looking at it through, like, the kissing lens, we'll look at it through, like, the summer's biggest teen badass lens, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, none of those movies are nominated for that award, though. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe Emma Watson should have been nominated for Biggest Teen Badass. She's, like, pretty impressive in perks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, this is also a year where, and, again, I've, thank you whoever in the Wikipedia noted which one's got multiple nominations, but after, after I feel, and maybe Twilight opened the floodgates for this, but now we're getting more films that are getting, like, seven nominations, and like six nominations in uh yeah silver linings playbook ted django again all seven no- nominations uh, yeah we're, we're starting per- to see sort of the uh the uh the what is it the funneling of a lot of like hollywood movies you know we're not going to get another you know phenomenon you know uh squeak its way onto the mtv movie list yeah. i mean yeah moonrise king kingdom kind of sneaks in there a bit oh yeah yeah, but I wonder if if by this point was Wes Anderson like a pretty household name. Uh, I'm not sure when his like highest peak was. I guess. Yeah, this I would say this is kind of the film that almost gets. Well, no, Grand. This is sort of the period that really like ignites him in the popular consciousness because he does this. Um, I'm actually, I don't have enough of a handle on his filmography offhand but but basically this definitely starts starts something there and then grand budapest hotel which is is one that also gets a lot of big oscar attention is i think really where he kind of like peaks and yeah sorry i'm just kind of thinking in my head because i think he does fantastic mr fox a few years before that but it's definitely the year where like wes anderson is Become like really mainstream, so yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, it definitely was like a nice, um, Wes Anderson movies, like, all have like a certain have a certain feeling about them, um, that's like very unique. That's always like nice to kind of splash in on stuff like this, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I like Wes Anderson, we'll get into oh. Oh wow, Grand Budapest was twenty fourteen. Why did I think it was like years later? But hmm. yeah, so this is definitely kind of getting into that big Anderson period. He has a new film out in theaters right now, and if it wasn't like only playing at across town theaters in my house, I would. And I wasn't so busy, I would happily have go see it. I probably already would have seen it if I wasn't so busy. But he makes the good movies. Well. We'll talk about this soon. Um, but 
But interestingly, despite stuff getting funneled, um, we're, we're still never going to quite get to what I think is like the peak of the MTV Movie Award nomination thing, Speed's nine nominations. <clears throat> like, it's really funny that just three year, year, three or four years into that award, Speed came in, got nominated nine times, and no one else has ever quite got there again. Like, <laughs> It's hard to have a stranglehold, a stranglehold on an award show quite like Speed did. <laughs> yeah, it's... God, I'm... We'll get back to speed one day, I'm sure. Yeah, but, it's 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 hard for a movie to have it all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, some other notable stuff that happened this year, and something that like I completely forgot until I was looking, trying to see if I could find more footage of the awards show. But uh, Will Ferrell won a comedic genius award, and in the middle of his acceptance speech, uh. Aubrey Plaza, who we're going to talk about in a few years for Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. And she was also on Parks and Recreation and has done other stuff. But basically, actress Aubrey Plaza gets very drunk, runs on stage, and tries to take the award out of Will Ferrell's hands. It's... (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at her and he's like... Are you okay? And she's like, uh, yeah. And then she goes and just sits back down. And it's like, oh, Aubrey Plaza, everyone. Uh, just like we rehearsed it. And then later, like, <laughs> MTV's like, yeah, she was escorted off the premises. Like, that was not planned. It was just... <laughs> it's a little bit of a little bit of magic. <laughs> yeah, and oh. I think she, like, had given an interview thing where, like, she's like, yeah, it just seemed really funny to do it in the moment, and then I was just kind of embarrassed. Like, it was... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, one more thing before, while, while we're still on the uh, the nominations. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of weird. So, like, the, the, the section of best on-screen duo, like, has like a lot of like repeat uh, people. It has like the winners being uh, Mark Wahlberg and Seth MacFarlane from Ted, and there's also Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper from Silver Lining Playbook, and it also has Django Unchained. But it's Samuel L. Jackson and Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> 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 uh, it's that is it's an a interesting choice. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah it's uh, yeah I get you know they. They were a pretty good team. <laughs> also, best on-screen duo back after a long absence. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I didn't take a notice of that. <laughs> yeah, eventually we got to that point, but, yeah, because, you know, it had been best on-screen duo, and then they switched it to on-screen team. But, yeah, and then but there is that, because there was those years, and partly why I think no one got to speed again is, as we said before, they parred down on the number of categories for a while. So there was just, like, a period of years where it was, mostly like basic stuff and now you know it looks like they're just working stuff back in which is good to see also yeah. also having now just looked up an article about Aubrey Plaza's response I saw she really has said about the incident at least at the at the time was she sent a tweet that said thanks for the advice Kanye West went better than planned <laughs> uh. <laughs> And then, oh, yeah, and then when someone said, oh, did she do it because the best way to get a Hollywood entertainment reporter to write about her is with bad behavior? And then 
She was like, is that true? And the the thing's like, I said she didn't know. (laughs) Um, But anyways, I think we can get into it. We've covered the bases there, so. Yeah. So, wait, you do the nominees, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll get into this. So, for Best Kiss 2013. The nominees are Emma Watson and Logan Lerman, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Kara Hayward and Jared Gilman, Moonrise Kingdom, Kerry Washington and Jamie Foxx, Django Unchained, Mila Kunis and Mark Wahlberg, Ted, and the winner, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper, Silver Linings Playbook. So this movie had a similar problem to um, Bridget Jones' Diary in that I, I never saw the playbook. Um, I I feel a little bit cheated. Um, I guess a little uh, a little more important than that. I went into this fully thinking it was going to be this like football romantic comedy kind of like Invincible. Um, was not expecting anything. I got it being like this. Uh, this like story about people with like bipolar disorder and other mental illnesses and like gambling addictions like were you unaware of what this movie was about going entirely um i was like oh you know a year that has like you know perks of being a wallflower so you got like a bit of like um you got like a sort of faux indie-esque vibe you got like an actual kind of indie feeling movie like moonrise kingdom um, you got Django Unchained, so kind of like this over-the-top sort of like action-y heist revenge movie. You got Ted, and then like a rom-com to top it off. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting a rom-drom by any means of the, of the definition. I Yeah, it, it, it very quickly like snapped into it too. Um, yeah, I, I guess for anybody... Um, who is unaware of this movie like I was um it's sort of it stars um Bradley Cooper as like the main character who has like a I think he's diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he like assaulted somebody who was like sleeping with his wife and he's just gotten out of like um I think an institution he was at um and he's sort of just he's trying to like get back with his wife and everything it's uh, it's it's a movie very similar to like uncut gems where like I'm always on edge the entire time like I'm never relaxed yeah it's definitely one that can be stressful like you're the first first couple times too because and but this was one like I remember Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence both got like awards attention for yeah for for this like or yeah and they both did a really good job yeah lawrence like, actually abs- won for best actress for this um yeah, oh so. that's yeah totally makes sense like i absolutely i loved her character and the way that she like the way she like reacted to everything was like so it was so it, it was it was always like surprising to me i don't know a better way to describe it like the responses she would have and like the way she would react it was and it was like executed on the acting department perfectly 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but this is a film... Yeah. Um, it's interesting. This is, like, the second of, I believe, yeah, three Jennifer Lawrence, like, nominations, and the one she's in for next year, American Hustle, is actually by the same director, David O. Russell. Um, oh. Yeah, who... Interesting director, um, kind of a problem, and like a not great person. There's only so much we can like get into this, but there's definitely, uh, at least like one, yeah, one, one like big allegation about, about him, but it's never been, um, maybe partly because like there's just the one, which seems to be the case with these things, but it's never been enough to like kill his career or. Stop, stop him, but all accounts not a great dude, but makes some films that I definitely find interesting, at least. Just for, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this was just a requisited yes, we know the director of this film is a yeah, bad exactly. person we always, corner. We always want to acknowledge it, you know, like uh, yeah. we, we were, were very embarrassed about that cut episode where we just sang Harvey Weinstein's praises for like 20 minutes before, you know, being filled in. Um, <laughs> why would we not have known in 2021 <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> Jesus Christ uh, um, uh, <laughs> oh man <laughs> but, um, contrary to the past 20 seconds of this podcast we don't take this thing lightly um, uh, we, we, we uh, do not we understand um also, it should be known that the incident that, like, happened in question where, yeah, basically Russell's trans niece had filed a police report alleging that he had assaulted her, and this happened in December 2011, so really before this movie or other movies he made since then, and it was apparently directly mentioned in the 2014 Sony Pictures hack, which we will talk about in a couple years when we talk about the interview, um, Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, but, hey, uh, yeah. Connections yeah. between <laughs> films. <laughs> exactly. Maybe not the most uh, good connections, yeah. but a connection none the least. Anyways, yeah, this is an interesting film because rewatching it, I'm like, oh, there's not much of a plot to this. Like, it's. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Like, it's them going about their lives pretty much and trying to. And him trying to get to, like, a good place of stability. And there's, like, some, like, stakes and conflict throughout. But, like, it's all very loose. And Yeah, it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, um, like, when I'm watching it, it's very hard for me to tell. um, Because it seems like every character is, like, not well. Um, they all have like something wrong and like I, I remember I think like halfway through I was wondering if like I wonder if Bradley Cooper's character was just like imagining this or like because it's it's very weird how like everyone everyone he interacts with is just like has something like there, there's something amiss you know like the his like one um uh John uh or or it's uh character Ronnie um like he like is very like upset with like his marriage and it's like it's 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 
it's manifesting itself in like sort of like violent outbursts when he's alone in the garage and like his in Robert De Niro Robert De Niro's character so like Bradley Cooper's dad is like has like a very serious gambling addiction um and also that, like, like his own things of like compulsion where he's like you yeah, have to his, sit his, here it's his yeah his his um his OCD it, it's man um it just it's it's such a it's it's such a it's a movie where like I can never like I said like I can never like relax I don't know when like the next because the the conflict um can come from literally anywhere because um, there's no like like not until I think like the very end of the movie I think there's like stakes because of like the bet but before that it's like you said it's literally just people going like day to day there's like the the only overarching thing is just um, Bradley Cooper's character trying to like get in contact with his um i guess ex-wife um and then like their really his relationship with jennifer lawrence yeah Um, tiffany yeah Um, yeah yeah and the idea that he's gonna dance with her and she'll like give letters or whatever like it's yeah but like there's very little like the the amount of stakes to the amount of like stress i feel ratio is like out of whack that with any other movie that i've seen um, it's just, uh, it, it creates such a, a sense of, of tenseness. Yeah, because you're given the understanding that with the whole thing with Cooper's character is that if, that, like, he's kind of been released, but he's also sort of a bit on thin ice, and you're, it, there's always the concern that if he has a big episode that he's going to be sent back to this f- facility. So, like, whenever, like, he's doing stuff, or, like, even like starting to get like revved up about something it's like oh buddy oh buddy come on come on come on like the yeah you really like want him to like like get better and learn to like kind of cope with these things um and it's i don't know what did um not to like jump ahead or anything but what did you think of like the ending um the the ending i think is yeah like the yeah like what the part where they actually like kiss or just the, I, I guess both because like the thing that's it's one of those things where like, um, I think like it's one of those things where like I think on its surface, um, I don't know if I like it that much, but then I think I kind of have to reel back and be like okay that sometimes movies just end like this because it feels like none of them really addressed like their issues i guess especially like the robert de niro character um they just sort of won the bet (laughs) and like they got i think it's part of a process like just the fact like by the end i think they're able to be a bit more open about it and that's kind of the thing and they're yeah and him actually being able to let go of his wife or ex-wife feels like big yeah big progress for a thing and I'll say it, it. This is a film, and where if Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence like aren't the actors in this role, I don't think this is like a g- good movie, probably because it really is yeah. performance driven. Like my absolutely, like this is like a Finn film, and they add so much to it, and you get like so much stuff in them. I'll say it's also an interesting choice that you, we never really get to know what he's sort of like with his wife before the incident happens. 
It's always just kind of this yeah. thing of he's trying to get back to this before, and we don't yeah. even really know. Well, wait, what was before? Like the yeah. Other than that, he was apparently uh, a little overweight. Um, that is like something that gets called on like a bunch of times in the movie. Yeah. Um, I think almost every character he sees like so goes like, "Oh, you've lost weight." Um, yeah, not yeah, the it's... most body positive thing, but it's you know <laughs> it. It's like twenty thirteen. Like. What? Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess 2012, <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guess... Um, that kiss, though. God damn. I don't think we've seen a kiss like that before. Um, with, like, the huge zoom out. Oh, yeah. It's... Yeah. That was a... That was a well... Well, like, shot kiss. 100%. Yeah, it's well shot. Um, yeah, well performed. Like, it's a good kiss. Like, it's... Yeah. I think it it's it feels like very good. Um, I think it's I think in the um, I think I want it's it's got like a really good like sense of payoff to it. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much as the I think the Django kiss I think it has way more payoff, but is way less like I want to say visually interesting. Um, but no, this one definitely has amazing payoff. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the Never Been Kiss one where you're just kind of, it's building to it. Except there's like less of the weird ethical oh, yeah. issues involved with this one, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I don't, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, it's like a couple, like. Yeah. I said less of the, like, issues. Less, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's the thing about this movie is that, like, I feel like I need to, like, watch it again. Um. I watch. I need to like watch like videos on it to make sure. I just want to make sure that it's like representation of mental illness is like. I I don't even want to say uh, it doesn't have to be like wholly like super accurate, but just like I want to make sure that like I'm not propping up this movie that does like that is like very like harmful in a, in a in sort of a grand scheme kind of way. Yeah, yeah. That I, is like, it yeah, is sorry. something where like it is. It is, and I'm I'm trying to remember if there was like a lot of discourse about it on the, like, uh, on the thing. Like I, like I yeah. nothing comes to mind, but like it is something where I don't think so. Yeah, it does feel where you're like, hmm, is this okay? Like the yeah, it's just I I feel like it's something that um, I think I think I I definitely feel I definitely my gut reaction is that it makes me feel weird, but that might just be born out of my. Um, lack of knowledge on like bipolar disorder or like um, uh, like the specifics and like the nuances of like that those kinds of mental illnesses. Yeah, and I think that's something that the move, movie goes to um to. This is a way better movie than Rain Man, which is like one of the first kind of major movies to tackle autism as like a d- diagnosis thing. But I think when something isn't really portrayed much in film or at least is typically portrayed in a more broader sense then I think there's something to be said for a film that makes an effort even if it's coming up short a bit and I think so too I I, I do agree with that yeah yeah like obviously as yeah as an autistic person Rain Man is something that like I resent for bringing a certain image into the culture, but I also acknowledge that it did open like gate gateways in a way that wasn't there before. Um, I don't know if 
people, if anyone with bipolar disorder, like, has a similar, like, kind of love-hate relationship with Silver Linings Playbook, um, if you're one of those people and you're listening to this, feel free to write in. We would love to hear, like, your experiences yeah. if you're willing oh, to share. Yeah, if it's, yeah, if it's comfortable with you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I don't have, I don't think I have much else to say about the Silver Lining Playbook. It was just a really good movie, and I was very surprised. Um, yeah, like, all, all my sort of, um, like, slight problems aside, like, just a really well-executed movie that, like, is, is, like, carried by, um, Jennifer Lawrence and, uh, Rocky Raccoon. Like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and well, I'm more to say about both of those people when they're in American Hustle next year. Um, hey, the Don John episode. Oh man, <laughs> can we can we just call it that, like really ominously? The Don John episode. <laughs> so that one's gonna be our first one with a guest in a while. It's our f- yeah. I'm gonna. <laughs> This one I feel free announcing because like this has been booked like months in advance, and I know like he's actually gonna show up. But, like he's he's been watching those films. I'm not sure if he's gonna like any of them. Uh, shout out to you, Shane, for like booking this one early and going. I think this is the weirdest year because you probably right on the money on that one. But <laughs> we'll have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. He's also like, man, if Ben likes some of these movies, I'm worried I'm going to get upset at him on the podcast. I'm like, uh, it'll be I'm fine. Um, Ben's very charming. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to love all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, little teases for next, little teases for next week. But in, uh, I'll say I think this is a better movie than American Hustle, a film that is largely boring until the end for me. But oh, yeah. Yeah. no, this movie like. I, I, it's super helped that I had no idea going in, and and I think this sort of reinforced that like I'm never gonna not do that if that makes sense. I love going into these so blind, like I think I have the best time with movies like that. Yeah, and that's something like I envy. Like a couple of these films, like I have not known what they were about going in, but especially like into this era, which is kind of getting into me getting more into films. I know what most of these movies are about. Um, yeah, but, and we'll, we'll, yeah. I think we'll reach a point for that for yeah. me with that as well. Yeah, but I did not really know what the purse of being a wallflower was about. To segue, I did not either. Um, I guess what did you think of perks of being a wallflower, like as a whole? So, yeah, um, as a whole, I thought, yeah, I thought it was an interesting thing of a coming of age movie of just kind of the as someone who was like. A kid who always had friends who were, like, a few years older than him. It was interesting to see that kind of, like, dynamic be dramatized on the big screen with the freshman who falls in with kind of the seniors. Um, Yeah. Also, um, this might just be... Because, like, I... It's really hard to, like, conceptualize, um, I guess, ten years ago ish am i wrong in thinking that like almost every character in this movie is like kind of like a trope that like i've we've seen other places not in like a bad way but it's just something that i like kind of took note of note of yeah 
I, I feel like I uh, maybe maybe this happened like a lot after this movie came out and this movie was like one of the first but I feel like the like closeted gay football player is something I've seen like 15 million times um, um yeah glee literally was doing this like a couple years before <laughs> this movie came out though this was also based on a book yeah that, that makes sense and like not in a bad way at all like I think I really found all these characters like fairly charming um I just I usually give like bonus points if a movie can like introduce me to like a person that like I've never like seen before like ever um I'm trying to think of like a really good example I'm sure there's one like um well I've never seen a guy like little man that's probably first um <laughs> but um yeah but yeah I'll say these are familiar characters um my take for it is it is fairly standard teen drama fare from what I could tell especially for that kind of like indie thing even if that's dynamic and then um we'll get into uh, the ending at some point but i will say <laughs> that the performances in this like and the overall vibe are so charming like i can help by yeah. where even though i had issues i'm like yeah this is like a good one um yeah i think this is one of the cases where um i think pretty similarly this this whole list um this whole year kind of has like i think it um this can kind of fall under both um silver lining perks and moonrise as well where like their plots are very like pretty simple um perks not being so simple near the end um but like what's happening is very simple and it's sort of just like carried by like a very charming cast of characters that like i feel like if like this script was given to like much like much less talented either direction or acting or both then like these probably wouldn't be all that interesting or captivating as they ended up being yeah and well i'm sure we'll talk about this a bit more when we get to the spectacular now next week which is also kind of like a similar like indie teen drama but i think perks is like better than spectacular now now by like a fair margin and what it tries to to do but um I I can't remember what point I was about to make in a, in, in a thing, but yeah, this is a film where it's kind of simple, but like it does sort of get to like, it is really easy to like root for the, the character. Like I think Logan Lerman is like really good in this. And yeah, I, I think he's, um, it's, uh, I think if D Revan Hansen has showed us anything, it's that it's very easy um, to make a character like that very unlikable. Um, sort of like the outcast one. Like, I feel like it's like, it's one of those things where it's a very, like, it's, you've got to balance a lot. Um, cause like they have to, like, there has to be, it has to be like believable that they're an outcast, but you still want to like, like them, you know? Yeah. Um, by the way, and Ben knows this cause I told him bef right before we started recording, <laughs> This film was directed by Stephen Shabotsky, who, oh yeah, first, he actually wrote the book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, so this is his own book that he is directing, in what I believe was his directorial debut, though he's written, um, though he had written a couple screenplays before, but he, and he went on to direct 
Dear C. Evan Hansen this year. <laughs> uh, a film that is objectively worse than this one in several yeah, ways. Man. Oh, if you could just... Yeah, and like that, I feel like they tackle... It's both, they're both like high school teen dramas. Um, yeah. I feel like Dear Evan Hansen definitely... Dear, to give Dear Evan Hansen um, a little bit of like like a dangle, a little bit of rope, you know, um, it it starts in a huge hole that it has to dig its way out of. Whereas this one starts with a little more of like a blank slate. Uh, it starts on like a good plateau, you know, where like characters can fall. Like the, I think one of the problems with Dear Evan Hansen is that the starting point, like the initial incident, just it's miraculous that it was like a, a really good like um mu- like broadway musical performance yeah i've had to explain to people because they're like why did anyone ever like dear heaven hansen i'm like okay one well, i'm like there were people who connected who only heard the cast recording and really liked the messages of the songs and b like ben platt's on stage performance which does not translate well on screen is really really good like yeah um i think i've seen like i think i've seen people describe it as that like on stage he's portrayed way more he's portrayed like a kid who at least initially is trying to do like the right thing but keeps on getting like cut off and like um like doesn't get a chance to whereas in the movie he's being it's very like deliberate which like (laughs) makes it so weird yeah also the movie like it rec- recognizing that one of the biggest criticisms of the play is dear Evan Hansen, like, is that Evan Hansen, like, never really gets publicly exposed or has to, like, make any sort of meaningful amends for his actions. The movie tries to, like, fix this, but the execution of it is so clumsy where I'm like, I kind of yeah. prefer the play, especially because... Yeah. It also it also cuts out, like, the biggest call-out song. Yeah, there's, like, an entire... And this was something I was explaining to people, too, where, and, uh, sort of your people who are like, talk about Perks of Being a Wallflower more, but this is the most we'll ever <laughs> have the chance to talk about this, but, yeah, there is an, if you are unfamiliar with the musical You're Evan Hansen, um, there is an entire song called Good For You that comes at, around the point, around a point where he has had this big argument with his mother, and he is kind of blowing off, like, his other responsibilities for this relationship he's he's in where the characters he, he are hurting actively get to express that he is hurting hurting them um there's like a a really what i think a really necessary piece of ugliness where his friend who helped him write the letters is, is they have like an argument he's like i thought you were just paid to hang out with me he's like so he's like oh, i could tell everyone everything and evan Han- hansing like goes fine do, do that. Go tell people you help write letters from a kid who killed himself. Which is just a really necessary piece of ugliness that the movie loses yeah. in their effort to, like, try and make him likable. Like, it's... It's... It's it's yeah. such a weird, bad choice. Um, where that, in, in this yeah. film, there's a whole section where this character is in a relationship he shouldn't be in, and is kind of a jerk in it. And, like, you feel the film's not laying him off, like, the hook. Like, you emphasize yeah. with his predicament but you're also like okay like you're yeah. kind of being much a bit much and, here yeah exactly and and despite um despite like runtime wise i think like the low point minus the ending which is like an entire low point um but like the low point of like that relationship 
on screen it lasts like about five minutes but it's like implied that it's over the length of much longer time than that Um, yeah which is honestly if you're gonna do it that way that is the best way to do it because i oh my god i can't stand like extended like almost pornographically long like low points that are just like i don't like i i don't i didn't (laughs) there are certain pieces of media where like i go to suffer you know um like there are certain pieces of media where like i want those gut punches but like i don't think i was looking for that in like perks of being a wallflower um weirdly enough except for like the ending ending (laughs) oh yeah it's oh yeah oh yeah you i guess we might as well get into like the end ending bit of it um Oh yeah, for pe- people who have not, are not familiar with Percy being a wallflower, except for that poster, I think was everywhere of them all sitting against the wall. Yeah, that's how I know yeah. it too. It's a ninety. It's a nineties period piece. Um, about this. Yeah, about this character played by yeah, Logan Lerman, whose name I am for, forgetting. Who yeah, he's like, but like he's this kid. He. Has never had a ton of friends in school. He's always been kind of shy, and he's like he has he has his two siblings who like basically are they have their own stuff going on in high school. Um, oh yeah, one of the we- weirder things in it is there's what feels like it should have been a longer subplot where his sister's maybe in an abusive relationship with. Um, you don't watch Succession. Br- Ben, but there's this, but the glowing kid from Sky High, <laughs> Nicholas wait, he, Braun, who goes wait, on to be one of the funniest parts of Succession, is he, playing the sister's boyfriend in that. Who hits ponytail her? Derek? Yeah, he's ponytail Derek. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's so weird. Yeah. Oh, and I'm like, cousin yeah, he, Greg is hitting a woman. What's going on? Like. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That that is like a pretty small part in the background. Um, yeah. yeah. And I thought we'd go back to it, but we really don't. Like his sister's helping him out later, and it's like I don't know. Just I, I think by the end they're broken up. I'm near certain. Yeah, by the end they're broken up, but it's like she's just kind of like figured it out while like he was off doing his own thing, like. It, yeah. Doesn't even come up with because because <laughs> his sister's like a senior is kind of a thing and the whole idea is he sort of he falls in with us yeah oh yeah this guy Charlie is his name and he falls in with Emma Watson's character Sam and then her stepbrother Patrick played by Ezra Miller the f- the Flash like himself him referring <laughs> to Flash and not Ezra Miller, who uses they-them pronouns. Um, sorry, that was confusing. But basically she falls in with like these two people, um, and Patrick is, kind of, is like openly gay and kind of the school outcast, and has, like... There's something where like, people call him pa- Patty Cake, and then he's like, oh, it's like, no. Like, I forget the thing, but like, there's... Why do people oh, keep calling him... Um, they call him nobody. Nobody. It's like... Yeah, because like, like um, 
in like his woodshop class. It's there's some like, call and response thing like that. Yeah, that's where it's kind like, of internalized over the years. Like, yeah, you, he essentially like he's like sort of just beefing with the teacher, and then uh, the like teacher Patrick, is like a jerk for like yeah, yeah. the record. <laughs> um, but like Patrick is essentially saying it's like it's it's Mister Stewart or nothing, and the teacher says okay, nothing, and then the rest of the year he's just <laughs> everyone just says like hello nothing and like all that yeah and the, yeah and he kind of goes on and he's in a yeah real, he, he's in a relationship with the high school quarterback who is like closeted and has has a dad and it's kind of just them going for the year and they fall into relationships and it's sort of yeah he is drawn to sam emma watson's character and they kind of have a thing and she and she sort of learns that, or he learns, and you they kind of make references to this Aunt Helen he had, who he was really close to, who's, like, deaf is, he feels kind of responsible for. Um, that's revealed before, like, we find out the full nature of what happened with Helen, right? That he feels responsible for her, her death, or the... Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that is, like heavily implied or at least that's what it's yeah. like supposed to like lead down to like yeah like you learn that she's dead and like you learn that it's affecting him in some way i don't think it's ever explicitly said but that's like that's kind of like the the obvious um inference from that yeah and he makes a reference to at one point they discuss um yeah yeah they discuss sexual assault because yeah Oh yeah, Kassam has like a thing where her father's boss like kissed her when she was eleven, and he says, "Oh, something similar happened to like my aunt, but she was able to turn her life around." And that's kind of as much much as you you get from it. And then I think actually I think I think that moment maybe leads to the kiss that got nominated. It's hard to tell. There's a couple, but there is a couple kisses. But um, I want to feel that it's this one because it feels yeah, like the, the one that the, fits. Like yeah, the bed. It's like on the bed kiss. I feel like there are like there are other kisses like before she goes off to college. Um, yeah, there's like a couple other kisses, but like I feel like that's like that's the kiss, you know? Yeah, because it's but like oh, but there's also the um, the truth or dare kiss. That one's pretty good. Um, that oh, one yeah. sort of starts the the mini downfall. That that's true. Oh, that's true too. Like it, it could be eyebrow on those, but because the whole setup for like that initial kiss and why I think it's serious because Sam's eventually like, well, and she means as a friend, but she's like, she's she's like, you know, I want your first kiss to be from like someone who like loves you, and they have like a kiss there, and you're like, oh, that's sweet. Um, yeah, yeah, but what is ultimately revealed and yeah there's a relationship in cases sorry uh, well we can go back to the kiss but to get to the ending is uh towards the end sam sam and patrick go off to like college and uh, other stuff because they're like seniors and there's something where like sh- he and sam are like kissing but he's having clearly having an episode and they're like and there's something where, like, he can't really engage as much. And all of a sudden, he has, like, a real breakdown where, like, he's has, like, a mental health crisis. And he's, like, in distress and is bringing up his Aunt Helen. And it's ultimately kind of revealed that what he has been repressing is his aunt was, like, sexually abusive towards him. Um, 
at this point, there are five minutes left in the movie. Yeah, there is. They give you no time to process this. And I honestly respect it. Um, it left me with such an impression. Um, and I have a <laughs> negative impression of this moment. Um, um, I, I appreciate a movie that can end on like a good gut punch and then gets out of there. Um, <laughs> um, Cause like, holy, and like, it's not, the problem is that it's like, it's not impossible to infer that from the beginning. Um, like I, I definitely like, I definitely was like thinking, I definitely had like small, th I think I like put it in my notes that I'm like, oh, maybe that's the case. But like, as the movie went on, it definitely sort of forgets about it a little bit. Um, yeah, but it, it definitely, it, it, it's, it shakes you, it, it throttles you and then it plays some David Bowie and leaves. Um, that's oh the kind yeah, because of... <laughs> the subplot is she, they don't know what the song Heroes is, right? <laughs> it's the tunnel song. Um... <laughs> and it's funny because like I I have read usually I have like a Wikipedia summary along as I go for the movies in case I like miss something and I can like I can check progress and I had seen something where it's like they hear a song an oh I guess the way. Or maybe it was the TV tropes I was looking at, but I knew there was something where they hear a song and it's heroes, but they don't know what it is. Maybe I like just yeah, no, that absolutely happens like near the beginning of the movie. Yeah. and I like, had, um, but I had yeah. thought maybe it was a bit where like we wouldn't necessarily know, but then I'm like, no, I immediately recognize this song. It's very famous. Like it's yeah. To be fair, this is it's like 1991. A yeah, exactly. Yeah, There's no internet. You can't just look something up like that. You can't sound hound it. Uh. <laughs> but I feel you can't like man maybe this is just pulled from the book but like you can't make that a big thing when the audience already knows what the song is like, it's... yeah I think yeah that definitely does take it away from it um, I think I remember I think I put it in my notes that um, it would it, it would have been smarter if they just created their own song but then you run the risk of making something that doesn't sound very good yeah um, it's I'm like, I like heroes. I'm never going to, like, complain for, like, hearing heroes. Except no, for maybe but... the end of Jojo Rabbit, but that's a whole other, like, sack of <laughs> uh, worms, but... <laughs> Directed by the bad guy of Free Guy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Krog himself. I don't think that's the character's <laughs> name. I just... <laughs> just... <laughs> I think, I think isn't Krog the name of, like, the really buff Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> Or no, it's, isn't that just, like, super I was guy? trying to remember... I was trying to bring a different Taika Waititi performance, and I'm like... Oh, yeah. His, his floor guy, it's... <laughs> I think um, it is, like... I'm Krog. glad we are taking the time... I'm glad I am now taking the time to look this up, so I can tell you that it was... Why is it not on the main Wikipedia thing? Just say... Oh. Um, Waititi... Korg. It is, yeah, it was I mixed up two letters. Um, yeah, it's yeah. really close though. But yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. But... It's. I'm trying to remember. Um, I guess like, man, like, yeah. I feel like with something like that, you have to pick something that's like 
super obscure or just like make your own but like i guess that's like really tough um I'm glad we immediately derailed from talking about the ending of the movie to, to, <laughs> to go about the, the, like, Listen, the song controversy. We, we pretty much gave the amount of attention to that ending as the movie did, proportionally, I think. Um, I feel like that is so thematically appropriate. Um, yeah. Uh, this is something that I recommend. Make a note in your notepad. Just say, watch... Um, like perks of old set, 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 set like a notification in your calendar to watch it like a month or two months after you hear this so you can like completely forget about it um because yeah. like boy does it like hit you and like either you're gonna be like kenny and you're not gonna like it or you're gonna be like me and you'll love it um either way it'll get it'll, it'll feel something you know yeah now i have a friend who hates this movie specifically because of the like ending and like i i like this film i'm not like gonna go that far but like Definitely, while discussing with them and some others today, there is something of... The idea of whether what happens at the end is a reveal or a twist. And it's something where I think... Like, emotionally... It's kind of a... I don't... I would argue reveal. Because I feel like... I feel like... I feel like it gives you just enough breadcrumbs. And it's not... It's not like, um... It's not like Disturbia... Where it, it it straddles the line so hard that it becomes, like, ridiculous. I feel like it gives you just enough information that, like, it doesn't confirm anything. It doesn't... It tries its best not to, like, red herring you too strong. I think it's more of a reveal than a twist. Yeah, my thing... I guess, and this is partly my thing, is... I feel it would be more of a reveal if this wasn't a repressed memory for him, if it was just something he never talked about and then, like, suddenly was having a breakdown and he couldn't, like... Or something he was trying to be in denial about more than something, like, he literally doesn't remember. And when you have it where he is kind of learning it, maybe... Or the execution feels a bit more like a twist. And that maybe goes into kind of my issues with it, where they just... Yeah, where they just kind of drop this big thing on you, and then you're, and then like, and then kind of just go, well, yeah, and then, you know, it's better, he's dealing with it, and my kind of, or, while I understand the thing of, yeah, it's kind of good that it's a bit messy, and then it ends, and it's not necessarily there, I think, if you're dropping something with that much emotional weight, I kind of want, like, an additional, like, thing of him dealing with it or maybe for it to have happened earlier or just something more than and ta-da this was going on i can counter you with that um you don't get closure in the same way that charlie doesn't get closure um i think you could make an argument that the ending it currently has is reinforces its themes rather than works against him I don't um, need closure. I just would rather be show not told that he's dealing with his trauma. <laughs> yeah, like... fair, fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. It's what uh, else? Oh, um, yeah. I, I I do agree with you though. I feel like it would be better if it was like a secret that Charlie was keeping from the audience and everyone, and not like a repressed memory. Yeah, but um, I don't know how how differently that would play out yeah. like on the screen though. Yeah, that's true. It could be, like, a thing. I I think you could still have, like, a, a similar effect, though. I'll say, 
the scene where he is calling his sister and his sister like recognizes what's going on is like oh my god like get help helps into my house is really effective like it's mm-hmm. that's a really good scene no i yeah. agree with that 100 um, percent. what what else is there to say about this film paul rudd is in it yeah it's... paul rudd's a little cool he's a cool teacher guy he's, he's kind of a nice little uh a nice little sort of like um sort of role model-esque like sort of uh i guess character shaping guy for charlie just a nice little sort of like um like a constant sounding board you know like or i guess a consistent like he doesn't really change at all throughout the movie and he's always kind of there for him he's 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 there from like the start right to the end yeah and i and like red is good in it like Usually when a film has a, oh, I'm like the mentor-teacher character, I think it's easy for that character to just be like, yeah, I've seen this before, but Paul Rudd, I think, brings enough of his inherent, like, just Paul Rudd-ness to it, where you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like this, I'm into this. Um, also, I've now just realized something that I think, what I'm kind of saying when I'm like, I wish this was dealt with a bit sooner for something I think it's done better, is there's the whole subplot with uh, Patrick's character and his relationship with the football player, which suddenly explodes spectacularly when they get caught by like um, the character's dad, and all of a sudden, like the guy's like aggressive to him, and like his friend, yeah, and like says like def- like says like the f slur to to like Patrick and his essentially encourages his friends to like do whatever and there's like a fight and a whole falling out and oh yeah that's something where charlie is somehow like a insane fighter it's a lot a lot is left up to interpretation yeah yeah but there's like this whole yeah but but there's this like whole like thing after where for the rest of the film patrick's kind of dealing with the fallout of that and Brad, the last the, the last you get is that, like he quietly thanks him for like helping Patrick out of the situation that he like had instigated, and that's kind of the thing. And where I think is there, where you have the audience is given time to sit with it more. Like it's messiness, but like you, it's messiness, and like you don't s- get the resolution of like Patrick going, "I'm okay with this now," beyond the fact that like he he briefly kisses charlie and then like apologizes for it but like it but at the very least like it lets you sit in that messiness instead of just going well get all that messiness we got like a song to sing just uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah listen to hero by david bowie (laughs) this is the tunnel song Oh, that's really, really cool. I, I do like that, though. I like the sort of throughout the movie, him trying to find the song and him like making um, Emma Watson's character like some um, some mic tapes and stuff. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. Also, shout out for Emma Watson for being uh, she. So Kristen Stewart obviously has the most best kiss nominations. And then Robert Pattinson is second. Like Kristen Stewart has six and Robert Pattinson has four. And Emma Watson is the only other person who has four nominations. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I realize, because I'm like, I guess this is not the end of us talking about Emma Watson, because we haven't got to her fourth nomination, Beauty and the Beast 2017. Yeah. Written by Stephen <laughs> Shablowski, the director of this film. 
Oh, wow. That's really, really neat. Um, also, uh, Cameron Diaz actually technically gets four, considering she was in Trek 4. Um, maybe not official. Maybe somebody should go edit the page with all the ones that we did during our um, our host we week. We can't count that. <laughs> we have to count that. She was a cartoon. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> it's by past the golden popcorn standards. Yes, Cameron Diaz also got four nominations. It's fine. <laughs> <Like> it's... <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't have much else to say about Perks of Being a Wallflower. Just a phenomenal movie. Yeah. Yeah, good good film, interesting film. I have so again, I have my issues with it, but I was charmed. And now to go to a film that I am more fully charmed by, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, a film I yeah. just really, really love. Like it's yeah, I think we were talking about it either at the beginning of this podcast or right before we started recording. But yeah, um, yeah, I originally was not going to rewatch this because I had seen it so recently. And I had a little bit of free time today, so I ended up just popping it in and watching it again. And yeah, it is so charming. And it is so, it's so colorful and, and quirky. Um, I think I wrote it in my notes because I, I remember I had a thought and it was probably the most perfect way I describe how like I feel about Wes Anderson movies. Um, Wes Anderson movies kind of look and feel like like stuff that's on your grandmother's shelf that you don't quite understand. Um, like if, if you've ever like visited your grandma and she has like a bunch of like knickknacks on like her shelf, like seeing Wes Anderson movies as an adult is I get the same feeling as seeing those things as like a kid. And not fully understanding, like, why they're there. But they're pretty mesmerizing. Yeah. It's interesting that we got to do both an Anderson and a Tarantino this year. Um, Two directors with the most distinctive, like, styles. Where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, this is them. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we well, got to see Quentin again after a little while. I think I think the last but, one was... Is it Desperado? Um, I mean... Wait, does Quentin have an acting role in Django? Just he does. He plays an Australian cowboy. I when I when the scene started up, I thought he was just doing possibly the worst cowboy accent ever. Um, and I wonder if he couldn't do a cowboy accent, so they just made their characters like Australian cowboys. Um, because it is such a weird, baffling choice. Maybe that might be something that's accurate. That maybe I don't know about. Maybe there was a lot of Australian cowboys back then, but it was it was jarring to say the least. Yeah, but anyways, Wes Anderson. I think he's known for um, these very elaborate, elaborately constructed films, and I think Moonrise Kingdom is kind of the one that is almost the apex of this, where it's it's very like it's something that could be. I can see, and I think some people do see this one as very twee, and very, like, cutesy, and everyone has, like, very specific, like, dialogue, and it's just an, it's an entire vibe that comes very close to being overpowering, but I think comes, pulls it off just right. All the kids talk with, like, this sort of, like, faux maturity, where they're, like, they're saying things that are, like, that I think are above their understanding 
but they're saying it with such confidence and and also like a little tinge of like clumsiness that like it's just it's so it's unique if 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 nothing else it is wholly unique yeah and um this film which i think this one and grand budapest hotel are the ones i would say are his best films and kind of I, Budapest, I think, is the one because that—that's the one that does the Wes Anderson thing, and then suddenly the, the ending, like it has this beautiful thing, and then at the ending, it just kind of shows the dark, all the darkness and pain underneath. And this film, it's not quite as like painful. Like it does go for kind of a happy end, but it is similarly a film about like, kind of just, bro, yeah, broken, broken people, and like this sweet bro. Basically, it's a sweet romance between these two kids and then sort of the broken adults who are kind of, like, in their charge and have their own own pain things in. And, like, there are just these moments of intense sadness, like, when the, when the Scoutmaster is calling, like, his foster parent after learning that he's kind of run away and is like, yeah, we, we don't want him at, like, our place anymore. So, like, I guess he's not, like, our problem anymore, which is just so intensely sad yeah oh there's also like a very very sweet scene where um where the scoutmaster the fight club guy um is like sitting um like with uh uh jared gilman like on the boat um and he's like talking about like hey like if like uh if like we were grading that tent out there like you would have got like gold stars all the way through it's just such a very sweet moment and like his character is just so like it's he's 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 so genuine and sweet and he, he seems like 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 uh, i don't know i just really like him <laughs> yeah like no uh, yeah like norton edward norton's really good in this bruce willis is really good in this like tilda swinton as the character only known as social services is like really good at making that yeah. person seem like a human <laughs> being even though she's li- literally like social services will not be like yeah no and, absolutely yeah. but you see her as like part of this like system that like she maybe resents but she's going to represent that system because it's her job um yeah and like bill murray as like who at this point like bill murray mostly just does wes anderson films but like I think he's really good there playing like the kind of just this dad who doesn't really understand like the yeah no and yeah his his relationship with um uh uh Francis uh McDormand Um, yeah Francis McDormand yeah yeah he's like it's uh it's so like it's so compelling and sad and like that's that scene where they're both sitting in their separate beds just like talking to each other like oh it's Oh, so so good. Everything about this movie is just it's so it's so fun. It's like it is the polar opposite of like boring. Like it's all very lively. It's so colorful. Like it's it's um like I'm trying to think of like like a comparison like um in the same way that like when like um when characters are like when even like live action characters are described as like animated like they're moving around a lot um not not there's not really that in this movie but this movie kind of has like a parallel thing where everything is very well like color has very good color composition throughout as if it was like hand drawn um like it looks fantastic yeah that's the yeah wes anderson touch um 
and uh, what else? Um, I'll say I forgot that a dog just gets killed in this film very casually. Like oh it's... yeah, it's 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 just oh my gosh, what it leads to like a couple of funny things when they're just like standing yeah. over it, and then uh, and then like when um when when uh the like the sort of like the main like opposing kid like the main opposing scout sort of is confronted about it. he kind of shrugs and goes like it's it's about it's it had to happen you know yeah a young lucas hedges a few years before his like big breakout oh. in manchester by the sea i i don't know if you know who lucas hedges is but i'm just gonna throw I these names not, at you like you but... do <laughs> <laughs> um. i do not but it's good to know for the future so yeah, i can i can pull that back yeah but yeah, this is just like an early role role for him. I'm like, I know one of these like kids. Also, the scout scene where after um, Redford, like the the main one, has been stabbed and like they're there and the scouts like talking, are like, why do we hate him? Like, and they like switch sides and decide to help him. I think that's really well done. That's like, a, yeah, that's a really good scene. Like, I I think. Um... We've talked about it, like, a little bit in the past, but, like, I think, like, child acting is always going to be, like, really, really hard. Um, but I feel like when you go this for this, like, sort of intentionally sort of, like, stilted delivery, I think it, like, it, it definitely, any problems that any of the child actors had, it's completely masked by this, like, stylistic choice. Yeah, because it's all manner to begin with, so that you're not going to be, like, thrown off when, like, the kids, like, sound, sounding like they're reading lines because everyone sounds like they're reading lines like <laughs> yeah that's that's perfect that's a perfect way to describe it i didn't have the words but that, that's perfect yeah um but i will say i do think um yeah to get to like the kids are about the center jared gilman and kara hayward are great in this like their romance is really sweet yeah. and really like captivating like, yeah it's really really amazing um, it's just sort of like the, um, I wouldn't even want to say the most of the movie cause like a lot of stuff happens, but I want to say like the, um, beginning like third or even I think beginning half of this movie is just them, um, out in the woods, just like spending time with each other and like learning a little bit about each other. Um, they were like pen pals before this because they like met at like a, at a play that, yeah. um, yeah, uh, when he goes, uh, uh, he br- goes into the room. He's like, "What bird are you?" As I'm starting to answer, he's like, "No, not you, her." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, and like I, I, um, I didn't, I completely forgot about that scene entirely, um, and like the like back and forth letter scene. But that was like a really really fun scene. Like it is a scene that is like, it's it's pretty much like. Um, it's like very much like it's sort of like backstory and it's exposition for stuff we didn't know but it's done in such like a fun stylish way um in like humorous way as well that i really enjoy yeah oh yeah that's the thing i like too that i had forgot about that like it is it kind of just starts like in sort of middle middle of the action style and then fills you in on the backstory later like you get like, you kind of just learn through these letters that they discover, like, what's going on, but, like, it's at least partway through the film where you actually learn how they met and how they came up with this plan to run away together. Like, it's... Yeah, 100%. And then, 
So for you, do you think that the kiss is like the beach kiss or the ending kiss? I would say, I mean, I'm a, I tend to go with like beach kiss because, yeah, especially because it's agree. both their first kiss and mm-hmm. like it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's so like much like a lot of this movie, it's sort of like intentionally awkward and like intentionally a little clumsy, um, because that's what like that's what like first kisses when you're a kid are like. Um, yeah. I think it does like an amazing job of this and like it's it's set up really well and it's it that whole like segment ends with like a really really funny scene where they're like they're they're lying uh, in a tent together and then I think Bruce Willis's character just picks up the tent and like everyone's surrounding them um, it's yeah it's their last moment of like peace on the just... yeah this movie is like this movie like never tells a single joke but is so funny um yeah like it just in the way that it, it go the way that it carries itself mm-hmm. and then well oh, oh yeah the narration from the guy who like he's like a library he's a character in the film but he also will just narrate the story for us and <laughs> yeah because yeah. because a, a storm's coming and like um yeah. and that's sort of like where like the uh sort of um, like the big final act is all about. Yeah, the idea that the storm finally arrives as these kids decide to go off and get symbolically married. Like, yeah. With Jason Schwartzman, <laughs> who just shows up, he's like, yeah, I could do this. Like, and... Yeah, and there's like the whole scene where it's like, it's like, um, like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, hey, spit out your gun. Like, listen, like, uh, what I'm about to do is not, like, it's not going to be recognized by any courts, any legal system or the government, but it still is like a pretty, a pretty serious, solemn swear. So go talk about it over by the trampoline and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> This is making me just want to watch this again. <laughs> no, it is it is an incredibly good movie. Yeah. Um, I guess spoiler alert a little bit for my my list at the beginning. I originally had this like at the very bottom just because of like my memory of it, um, and I am so happy that I watched it again because um, like it's so much about it. So many like cause I think. From, like, my memory, my recollection of watching it is, I was like, it's, like, pretty fun. But, like, I think, like, I remember, I think, um, and I still believe this to, like, a small extent. But, like, I don't, I'm, like, a little less captivated by the ending than I am the beginning. Um, it definitely doesn't, like, um, it's definitely, like, a, a steady, like, decline. Like, a very slim one. Like, we're talking about, like, a, a slope of, like 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 point zero zero one or something but i i definitely am more intrigued and 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 excited about the first half of the movie than i would be by the second half um but i definitely my memory exaggerated that to a great extent okay yeah yeah i'm glad you rewatch this too because if you put this on the bottom it would have been a talk <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's, it's yeah i still will defend that I mean, we might have some disagreements by the end of this list. That I loved all of these movies. Like it's a tough list <laughs> for very, for very, very different reasons. I think a lot of these movies. I think probably Perks of a Wallflower and Silver Lining Playbook have like the most, are like the most similar to each other. I would say, um, that might not even be true. I think like a little bit of Moonrise Kingdom and a little bit of Silver Lion Playbook is like Perks of a Wallflower. 
Um, but these movies are drastically different with like drastically different goals that I enjoy for like very, very different reasons. Yeah, it's definitely like a smorgasbord. And again, it's really interesting that like, because again, we don't know why they didn't nominate Breaking Dawn Part 2 this year, but this does feel like an intentional pivot to try and recapture some of that, oh, it's not just for teenagers type thing that could be for all people, even though Persevina Wallflower, very much a movie for teenagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, um, I don't think I would have replaced a single one of these with Breaking Dawn Part 2, um, unfortunately. Um, I would be happy if it got added you as You a... went so hard for Breaking Dawn Part 2 last <laughs> week. <laughs> I did, but that was before I'd seen any of these movies. Um, <laughs> listen, Breaking Dawn, Twilight is a series that is like, um, it's like a, it's like a stack of pancakes, you know, the longer you leave it there and the longer you look at it, like the less good it gets. Um, like the more you think about it, it's just, it all starts to fall apart. I in no way regret my time with it though. I'm glad that I saw it in like the brief like month that i did um but like all of these movies i think for very for varying reasons maybe with the exception of like one but i i honestly might even talk myself out of that statement um like wipes the floor with breaking dawn part two <laughs> uh, interesting like it's a really funny turnaround again. <laughs> listen i'm I am, this is I, literally counteracting the whole point of the host choice episode. I, the host choice episode was really just um, an excuse to share uh, movies that we think are good. <laughs> uh, that was that was the true intention. But like, um, yeah, I I'm super glad we did it because there is no chance they would end up on this year. This year is just a knockout all around the board. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I maybe would have put it in over a couple, but, you know, that's fine. Anyways, um, I think uh, I think that's about all I have to say about Moonrise Kingdom. Um, very lovely film. Go watch it. And next up, um, unless you have something, I think we can move on to Django. Yeah, I think I got everything. Uh, one more thing. The, the scene where Bill Murray throws the shoe at... Um... Edward Norton is hilarious, and I think I watched that like, like four times. Cause, cause I originally I didn't. uh, I think originally before I was like, I don't want to watch the whole movie. I think I was just like skipping around, just watching like clips, and like that was awesome. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, now on to Django. Yeah. So this is this was an interesting one for me because. I Django Unchained. Um, I had never seen. Yeah, I had all. I'm trying this. Say for I had never seen it all the way through. Um, the second year I worked. Yeah, the second year I had worked at, at the camp where we met. Um, on the last night, of yeah, a friend of ours with the same name as you. Yeah, shout, shout, shout out Ben Sevs. Um, let's, it's not his full last name, so it's not doxing. Um, but like, he, but he's like, hey, 
hey, we were just kind of hanging out. He's like, yeah, you want to watch Django with like me and my, yeah, me and my, uh, in 2021 that are now married. And that's nice. Uh, the time was like girl, girlfriend. And then like, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch Django. And it was also like two in the morning. And I definitely fell asleep on the couch in kind of the staff house. Um, and like for much of the film. So I had, so I had seen the beginning of it. And then all, all, and then had never really, really gotten back to it, even as I did watch more Tarantino stuff. And just because it's a film, I like it a lot. It's also, it is a lot to take. Um, yeah, it has a few, like, really unsettling scenes that are just like, that can be super hard to watch. Um, yeah, no, 100%. Um, yeah, I'd never seen this movie, not even a little bit. Um, I was really shocked with like, um, cause I was expecting like a, like, um, like a full, full revenge movie similar to like Desperado, um, in, in a little way. Um, or at least like, yeah, something like that. But this movie, it's like the first bit is kind of like a, a almost buddy cop-esque like bounty hunting, um, between um, Jamie Foxx and I'm going to grab the other guy's name. Christoph Waltz. Oh, there we go. Yeah, between Jamie Foxx and uh, One of the best voices in the business. Like, <laughs> just that German accent and, like, mm-hmm. it's always just, it's just a really distinctive voice and whenever, like, he's in a film and <laughs> talks, I'm like, yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. And then, like, it then turns into sort of like a, like, kind of like a deceitful sort of like spy like uh uh i don't know what the best word for it is but like um when they when they interact with um leonardo dicaprio's character like kind of incognito sort of way um and then like the last like 20-ish minutes become like what i thought the whole movie was which was this like over-the-top revenge explosions you know big shebang shaboom yeah it's definitely like a a film where i was surprised how much of it is just them and dicaprio and the building tension of like Candyland as they get into that um i'll say one of the things i had heard about this film is leonardo dicaprio maybe says the m-word more than was probably necessary to make that point yeah, it's it's one of those things where, um, yeah, it's Quentin Tarantino. You're either getting a lot of two things or a lot of both. You're either getting a lot of n words or you're getting a lot of feet. Um, <laughs> if you if you noticed, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has almost no n words, but probably the most feet. So it's it's a sliding scale <laughs> of how much you're gonna get of each. Um, I think this movie probably has the other end, I would say. Um, but it's it comes with the territory, I guess. Yeah, we're a choice and no one has feet in this. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a bold director's choice. I think Quentin Tarantino's trying to clean up his name a little bit. <laughs> Makes all the fights tense of everyone just crawling around because they can't stand up. I'm just <laughs> Oh, I guess they could be in chairs. I don't know why I'm going with this bit, but like, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah, this movie. It's just like it's one of those things, um, kind of like Brokeback Mountain, where it's like I've heard about it so much. I assumed it was going to be really good, and it ended up being really good. Um, yeah. Um, the kiss in this, I really like because it's it's like right near the end, and there's so much. It's there's so much buildup, and like, it's just ah, it's just kind of awesome. And I thought that it was going to be silhouette only. Um, uh, but it starts out in silhouette and then you get like a shot to see them, um, to see, uh, Kerry Washington and Jamie Foxx actually kissing, which was like, I w- I didn't know how I felt about that. I wonder how it would be if they kept it only silhouette and had this, like, had that scene like that. I wonder what that would have, I wonder if that would have like been worse off. I, I really, it got me thinking. I'll, s- I'll say this. You can never have too much silhouettes. Yeah. I think um. a silhouette kisses. Super underrated, honestly. Um, I think I think the like last time I remember us getting one similar to that was the uh, um, was in like Bugsy. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, right. Our first yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. Remember when these used to be like less than an hour long? <laughs> Just... <laughs> they were much much shorter. We had much uh. We had, we talked about Dear Evan Hansen much less. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I guess, what did, what did you think of the, I guess, of the, the movie as a whole and the kiss? Yeah, uh, the movie was, the movie was really good. Um, I know there are, there are some people who, like, I think this is one of their favorite Tarantinos. I did not, I did not get there with this one. I think my favorite Tarantino was... Still probably going to be, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, maybe I, I Kill would agree. Bill. Um, I would agree, yeah. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is still holding it up there for me. Yeah. The, the like, Kill Bill, I think, also has, like, some of my spectacular... Like, I'll say, of the Tarantino films I've seen, and I haven't seen them all, I do like... Like, I do like Tarantino. I like his thing, even when, even when it's like, okay, was well, this really necessary? Like, there's enough else going on where I'm like, yeah, this is good. Like, yeah, he's um, <laughs> I think like, I remember I sent you like a message of like a uh, alternate universe where Quentin Tarantino is actually really bad at directing and all of his movies suck. So he's just known as like a guy who uses like slurs and has a foot fetish. <laughs> and that's who did all. send me? <laughs> it's a it's a weird thing where like um, we're like yeah, I guess it really. I guess in a roundabout way, it really does speak to, like, the quality of these movies, that they can have these aspects, and still be, like, very fun to watch. Yeah. I'll say the kiss I don't... I, like, it didn't have as much of an image on me as, as yours, like, when you're like, oh, yeah, and that gives was a great build-up. I'm like, oh, did it? Like, though maybe because oh, yeah. so much else um, has been going on. Yeah, like, I think I meant build-up, like, throughout the whole movie. Um, not really the kiss itself. Oh, um, just, like, his quest yeah. of getting back to, yeah, like... Yeah, exactly. I think it's just because, like, I wanted to hold up. I think if the kiss happened in that scene where, like, he, like, opens the door and, like, I guess in, instead of she faints, maybe they kiss, I think that would have been, like, a knockout for me. Okay. Oh, yeah. But that one I would have, like, remembered more. But I'll say, you know, it's a... Yeah. It's a nice kiss still. And I'll say there's a lot of, like, interesting stuff in there. Um... As much as, and this probably goes to that time, but I think it's probably good that we're getting to a point where 
filmmakers of color are more able of telling these stories instead of white filmmakers, like, telling them? Because as much as it's like, should Quentin Tarantino be telling this story of, like, Jamie Foxx and how to, like, oh, oppressors and slavery and stuff, at the same time, it's who else would have been allowed to make this except maybe Spike Lee? Like, yeah, and um, I, that's a really good tan. That's a really good segue into. You um, told me you had it, so yeah. I'm like, I can queue him up for I'm this. Perfect, I love it. Um, so um, Spike Lee uh, has gone on record as saying he actually doesn't. Um, I don't. I think he said he would not see the film. Um, uh, I think I, I have like his exact quote. I think it was during like a. Um, a, uh, I haven't. Oh, did I not write it down? I think. Oh, vibe. It was during a vibe interview. Um, I think he says, "All I'm going to say is that it's disrespectful to my ancestors. That's just me." And then a little bit happens. I'm not speaking for anyone on my behalf. Uh, anyone else on my behalf. So, um, um, and then this quote was like, it was. I. I it's one of those things where like I, I maybe I just need more perspective on it. Um, where it's like American slavery was not a Sergio uh, Leone spaghetti western; it was a Holocaust. My ancestors are slaves stolen from Africa. I will honor them. Um, I just I'm trying to like think because it's really weird um, to use like the word like it was a Holocaust. Like three years after like Inglorious Bastards came out, um, it's just it's it's I and then it got me thinking, and I definitely um, I think I. I watched through, I didn't watch the whole movie again, but I kind of clipped it out because I think um, he goes on to like elaborate. And this becomes like a criticism that a lot of people have of this movie is that um, it's like, it doesn't portray slavery. It kind of, um, I think there's like a lot of like, there's like that one place where like all the people like are on swing sets and like they're, they're like, it's like, looks like they're being treated very well. But like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't get really get that reading from the film. I think the film um, in a few particular scenes, like, goes out of its way to show, like, how horrific it was. But I under, I, I guess I can understand if, it, like, it wasn't enough or there were things I just missed, you know? Yeah. I'll say, Tarantino is, like, a director who is... He loves his little revisionist histories. Like, he loves his Inglorious Bastards, a name of them shooting all the Nazis... Like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, averting the Manson murders. Um, Yeah, and I think... Oh, yeah, we didn't... Hold hold on. We didn't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood together, right? You didn't come with me and Matt to that? I I went by myself, actually. Um, Yeah, we didn't sit together. But, like, yeah, and I I wrote this down in my notes, because, like, this... um, I think, yes, Spike Lee is absolutely, like... I'm... It's so... It's good that he clarifies that, like, he's speaking for himself. And, like, I absolutely, like, respect his decision and his perspective. Um, um, I just... I think... I But I also, on the other side of that, I think it is, like... It is worthy to kind of note that, like, movies like this are always going to be set with such a higher expectation um, and arguably, like, a responsibility. Like if the hunger games doesn't like focus on like the um on like the parts that i like or the parts that most people like like the worst it's going to get is that like oh it kind of has like a bit of focus problem but if you're making a movie with about such a contentious topic and you don't give a certain aspect of it enough attention there's a possibility of doing like such a harm there um that i can definitely see where these criticisms come from yeah 
I'll say there's also a critique of these kinds of films, and, um, and, oh yeah, audio, audience, just remember, like, Ben and I are both white here. Like, obviously, we don't have, like, yeah, that experience to, like, exactly. approach this, but I'll say I think there can also be critiques to some of these things, these films, like, anything touching on slavery is going to be difficult, because it is such, like, a, a harm, and there is, like, such a per- perspective to it in, and it is, oh, oh no, now I'm kind of forgetting what I was going, yeah, going to s- say about it, but, oh yeah, sometimes there is a worry, like, with these kind of films, that when you portray this in such a manner, it almost gets a, well, at least we're past this now, like, you know, it's gone the way of the Western, like the... That, yeah, that's actually, int- I actually never thought about it from that perspective. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And like, and like, it's not, and like, it's one of those things where like, I would probably be, I would probably be a little like, I would probably have a little more, um, defense, uh, if it was like some like, um, like no name, some inexperienced director that like was just trying something and maybe just didn't focus on the right things. But like, I think with Quentin, I think it's okay to set a certain level of like expectation that like you, you've been in this game like you know like how to do things a certain way i guess yeah it yeah like he has his style and he has his little fixations um actually yeah to compare him with the next director we're gonna talk about i think quentin tarantino and seth MacFarlane are both people who love to reference stuff that was important to them as kids and for quentin it is very much b-movies and exploitation films and this whole kind of style that was just like influential to him and with Seth MacFarlane it's like Frank Sinatra and like kind of that big band sophistication type stuff with like a little wink and then whatever else and that is how Quentin Tarantino and Seth MacFarlane are similar (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think what makes Quentin Tarantino more successful creatively than McFarlane often is, is he is typically able to weld his passions onto larger ideas than just the thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can agree with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I don't have much else to say about uh, Django. Um we get to see, I think this is the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first penis. Um, we've seen a lot of boob. Uh, I think this is actually the first penis, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, um, yeah. Yeah, this is actually a good year, because, um, without getting into the spoilers, you also see some penis in We're the Millers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're starting to see, we're starting to break that glass ceiling. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Finally, and, the dicks are on screen. <laughs> Fine. We've waited. We've waited decades. Um, yeah. And then I think, yeah, my last sort of piece, I guess, of criticism of this movie is that, and maybe maybe um, you could interject with some perspective, is that I don't really feel like Carrie uh, Washington didn't really get to be the character, but like from Quentin, I'm not super surprised. Just like kind of like, I wish she had like more going on, especially considering how like long this movie is. And like you said, like how much of it is spent like setting up Candyland. Yeah, I would also say, yeah, Carrie Washington is kind of 
underserved in this film in a way that I think with with the exception of like Kill Bill, many like Quentin Tarantino female protagonists are kind of underserved. Yeah, she gets like Carrie Washington's character gets a lot of like superficial depth, I guess, in that like like uh she speaks German she like is like put through like a lot of like suffering but like nothing like you don't i couldn't tell you like four things about her character which is like really upsetting considering that's like that's like it's 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 kind of like it's a little gross in that she's seen more as like a um in the movie's eyes a little more like a a goal like a something to get at the end um which is like it's not a criticism exclusive to this movie um and not something I know, I, like we said, like, I don't know, something we would expect much out of Quentin, which is, like, a little disappointing. Yeah, it's definitely something where they could have done more with her, or, you know, maybe re- rejigger the story so that she's not someone who needs rescuing in the first place. I don't know. It's, but it is something that feels like a missed opportunity there, especially considering, like, how... I mean, I know from Scandal how good Carrie Washington can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been nice that she got a bit more of an opportunity for that, though. Yeah, if, yeah, she's definitely, like, she's a, she's a very, like, good actor. And, like, it's it definitely, there was not a, like, it was definitely something that happened, like, in the writing room. That, like, is, um, is the reason for that. Yeah. And, like, because, like, she's holding her own with, like, you know, when she, with, like, DiCaprio and Fox and like Jackson like everyone she's on screen with too and just wish she got more of that um and yeah I don't know if I have much else to say about Django Django Unchained um sorry again for the portion of this that came to white people talk talking about like slavery portrayals in movies um it's yeah uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say there also, and I have been, like, reading, reading like, articles, because I feel there was, like, a lot of, like, weird stuff last year that tried to deal with, like, black trauma, and I definitely read something from, I want to think it was Angelica Jade Bas- Bastian, like, so, some black critic in a thing, thing who was counting the thing of why, of why are stories about black people, even from black creators, constantly just about the trauma and why is that being, like, just... Con- why is this what, like, white... We're constantly doing in these stories are also being largely consumed by white people. Though, with Django... At the very least, you got that cathartic revenge part at the end of it. Um, and it is kind of... You know, it has some more stuff going on, but... It's just something, like, I also have been thinking about. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm glad we get to... We do... Um, get to end this podcast though on a much lighter note though <laughs> and something that is more in our realm of expertise exactly. to talk about like <laughs> again please yeah this is my recommendation like if you please like look up any Django Django criticisms from yeah. actual black critics please absolutely and that's that's what I um yeah that's what I I, I was trying to go through the Wikipedia page because like I knew that like that there was definitely going to be some that like was going to be way out of our wheelhouse of understanding yeah but if you want to talk about ted hey hey (laughs) uh (laughs) yeah um what did you think of ted first of all yeah 
Ted's interesting because I think this has come up in an episode where I never saw it when it came out. It was, oh no, this came out in a private thing. This was the first year I was working at the camp where we met, and I didn't have... It was before I was really going to see movies a lot along my days off. I was using my days off for different things, with the exception of Dark Knight Rises. I didn't really have a car. It's Seth MacFarlane is a person... Um, he is someone who I think is often dismissed as, like, a bit of a hack when I think he's a bit more complex than that. Um, the early seasons of Family Guy, I think, have some great stuff in there. Oh, yeah. Uh, me and my friend have been watching those recently. Like, they they are, like, hilarious. They look better. Um, I think that same goes for, like, old Simpsons stuff. There's just, like, it's just, it just, the it looks a little, it's, like, messier. It's a little more saturated, but, it, like, it just, it looks so much better for that um, yeah yeah and, yeah and and like he is someone who again he's just a fascinating guy where he has spent years now because like the third season has been long delayed like trying to just do the orville which is us us from my understanding of it largely him trying to do a kind of sincere star trek show that also just has seth mcfarland comedic sensibilities in it like it's <laughs> yeah but it's literally him going i love star trek i want to do like a star trek thing and yeah he, he was a guy that like he got like to like insanely successful at so young um that like and like he clearly there's like you can't deny that like there's definitely like talent there um i think when like he definitely when he's passionate about something like he can write good he can like make something great yeah and yeah and ted was something that like it got pretty good reviews like better than i was expecting for mcfarland and that i think got me kind of like in interested in it a bit and i was like and then like teenagers at the camp were definitely bringing it up uh specifically the thunder buddies thing like there's a rainstorm and they started doing thunder buddies and then stopped because like there's because they all because you know can't really say the f word at camp so just... yeah <laughs> i remember that oh man yeah this yeah this was what i was telling you on like some like yeah hang hangout thing and but like yeah and ted is a film where i watched it and i'm not gonna say everything works but i'll say seth mcfarland humor and Shock humor in general. Um, I'm not going to like turn my nose up at humor that's like provocative, considering how many times I have brought up 9/11 on this podcast unnecessarily. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> but there is like kind of an art to it, and and I think there's an art. There's like an art to provocative humor, and like an art to like random humor, even. And often Seth MacFarlane has kind of just stream of consciousness, throw this in for its own sake. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, man. This is maybe this analogy is completely stupid. Um, but like, I feel like, yeah, what you're talking about with like the sort of like random humor and like shock humor. I feel like with like, um, I feel like uh, like 
indie movies and sort of dramas in general um, are kind of like um, voice acting in like hearing voice acting in like a language that you speak. Uh, or sorry, it's like hearing voice acting in like a language that you don't speak. Um, like with a lot of like anime where like it's it's way harder. The feelings that they're trying to invoke are way harder to like sort of notice like what's wrong with it like immediately it's usually something you have to like think on for a little bit did you just compare indie films to anime anime voice acting so like to, um, to dubs <laughs> yeah exactly so like when you when i'm watching like an anime and it's it's someone speaking japanese i have no clue if they're doing like a good job or not whereas if you turn on something with english voice acting it's immediately apparent when something sounds like off or, or wrong. And I think that's the comparison I want to make with that. Like with like when a shock humor joke doesn't land, it is the worst thing ever. It is like, it is a groan fest or whereas like a really dramatic scene, like let's say maybe like an ending of like a movie where a big revelation is, is revealed. Um, you might have to like sit for that for a little bit before you realize before you can like come to the conclusion that that kind of like sucked i guess um like jokes i feel like are way easier to just like process immediately because it is essentially a binary of was that funny was that not funny um and i think it's i think with humor it's it's a much harder thing to appreciate in the abstract if you know do you know what i does that make sense yeah i yeah i think i kind of get like yeah. it's it's easier to make these judgments with comedy. Yeah, whereas, like... Especially with the thing of, like, Family Guy stuff. Like yeah, it's... like, if I watch, like, a video essay about, like, the meaning of a certain movie, I can sort of sit on that and, like, appreciate it. But, like, if someone, like, explained to me, like, the in, 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 intricacies of, like, a joke that I didn't find funny, I, like, why? Don't even bother. Like, <laughs> he didn't get me the first time. Um... Yeah. And I'll say, Ted has stuff where, like, it's kind of similar to a family guy. Like, the end joke where it's like, and then this kid went on to be Taylor Lautner. Oh, it's that, just kind of like that a... That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's a real... Did you... Yeah. Do you watch a lot of South Park, Ben? Um, I yeah. do. Um, Did you... Have you ever seen the Cartoon Wars two-parter about kind of family guy? I think so, like, yeah, yeah. Where they kind of, um... Where yeah. Family Guy feels like a mishmash randomness, yeah. Yeah, the idea of them where they go to Hollywood because the premise is an episode of Family Guy is going to depict the Prophet Muhammad. Oh yeah, and I remember that. They're one. yeah fearing retaliation, and then there's the reveal that Family Guy writers are manatees. Yeah, they just like put yeah. three random balls in an order, and then the joke spits out. Yeah, and Manatee Joke became something that, like, I think still sometimes gets described to, like, Family Guy. It's, like, kind of, which, of course, is a show known for rapid cutaway gags, which are very often just pointing out a reference or, like, yeah. doing, like, a thing and or and doing either a joke or, more often than not, an anti-joke. Yeah. Which is where the joke is. There isn't really a joke. There isn't really a joke. I, yeah, and, like, that's, I honestly, like, it's, oh, it's really weird. Um, I feel like comedy exists in, like, a circle um, where, like, stuff just comes back around to being a little bit funny again. Um, like, 
uh, something I've discovered recently is that like very generic sort of like um, animated kids movie like quote lines or just um, just generic lines in movies regardless um, come back around to being hilarious. Um, when I saw the trailer for Space Jam 2 and uh, Granny was holding up like a martini glass saying it's going to get lit, I was like, I was like internally upset. But when I saw that in the movie, it was like the funniest thing ever because it, it, it had come back around for me a little bit. Um, so like reference humor, I feel like exists in that like perpetual circle. Um, yeah. yeah. That just reminded me, and I realize this isn't reference humor, but speaking of stuff where, like, you you know when you see something so many times, you're like, okay, this isn't funny anymore, but then you got the context, and sometimes it comes back around. Yeah. Marvel's Eternals is finally coming out, and I have seen so many movies with this trailer that ends with a joke where they're sitting in a safe house, and it's like, oh, is this stable vibranium? And he smashes it, and then Ryan Tyree Henry's just like, Ikea, Fall Collection. And I am very excited to see if that actually gets a laugh in theaters. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Um, yeah, and then I will also say I think Family Guy is at its funniest when it sort of breaks away from that. I think I think me and my friend, um, I think we share. I think we think is like one of like the funniest Family Guy jokes, where it's it's essentially it was like this cutaway gag about like a wolf that can't howl. And then it turns into just like this weird avant-garde, not really avant-garde, but like this weird thing where like that wolf then like becomes a prostitute for, through like various circumstances. And then it like when it ends, it's like it's just like Peter just like sitting in like a director's chair, you know, and it's just like that was a piece that we called like that's a piece that we've just simply called wolf. Uh, we've been working on it for a few years now, and um, I'm glad that it's finally out and everyone can see it. And it's just, it's just, it's, and like, there was no reference at all. It's just so funny. And I feel like, um, last side tangent, I feel like American Dad is just that. I feel like American Dad is just family guy trimming the fat, you know? Yeah, I've heard American Dad's really good. American Dad is essentially like almost no reference humor or cutaways. Essentially, all the humor is derived from, like, the characters and the situations. And again, and this is not to put down, like, reference humor or anti-jokes or, what, or like, shock humor. Again, stuff I all, stuff I definitely make great use of. It is just saying there is a way to do it, and Seth MacFarlane, like, does not always do that to me. But going all the way back to when you're like, oh, so what do you think of Ted? Ted has a lot of jokes that work, like a lot of them. Yeah, I I was shocked. I was expecting that this was probably going to be like um, the hardest movie to sit through, just because like I don't know if I would super like vibe with it. But I ended up being like consistently laughing. Like a lot of these jokes are hilarious. Like I don't. What did you think of like the? <laughs> When every scene where like Ted is talking to like the manager of that supermarket, and he's just it's so because so, the joke is that he's just saying like vile, awful things, and the conversation always ends with like him getting a promotion, and they carry that joke like right to like the ending like credit like where are they now type section, where it's like Ted was caught you know having sex in like the produce aisle. Um, he was then immediately hired on as, like, the district manager. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good bit, especially because, like, 
again, it's an actual joke. Like, it's, Ted is trying to, like, not keep this job so, like, he doesn't have to grow up and the status quo doesn't have to change. And, but he keeps getting rewarded for, like, trying to go against the yeah. system because he's so blatant about it. The guy's like, no one's ever done this before. Yeah. Like, it's... Oh, man. And probably just assumes that everyone would do this <laughs> if they have the chance. Yeah. Like, but... And then I guess to give, um, for those listeners who are itching for my, my top to bottom summary analysis of the comedy in this movie, I think it is super duper strong. Um, right up until like I think the party scene is kind of weak um, and then after the party scene up until he's sort of like quipping while he's being chased um, by uh, we, he was in a movie recently that we, he was in the Sky Captain um, yeah um, Giovanni uh, Ribisi um, uh, when he's sort of like quipping while he's being chased by that that whole section in between those two parts is like, it's kind of weak, mainly because it's not really trying to be funny. That's sort of like the emotional core of the movie, which like isn't very good and is like objectively ruined or super funny, depending on how you look at it by the second movie. Um, but yeah, that's. Oh, a... yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen Ted 2? Um, I've not seen Ted. I have not seen Ted too, Me, but like yeah, Mila Kunis is not even in it. Yeah, I heard I I did know this. Like, yeah, that spoilers for Ted too. Not, sorry. Yeah, I'll say I do think Ted, part of the reason Ted works is because it does come from like a place of sincerity, and it is like kind of a good like a, a really clever premise. Just yeah. the idea of what of what if it was kind of like what happens in, like, the kind of 80 kids movies where you wish on something and it comes to life, and what if then life just went on and, like, it became famous and now you're adults and no one's really grown up? Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind if I spoil a little bit of Ted 2? Yeah, go yeah. for it. So, like, the premise of Ted 2 is that um, he wants to get married, but he's technically property. So the entire movie is them trying to like fight the courts so that he can become he can get like citizenship. Yes, yeah, see, I knew this was the premise of the <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> Which like I think personally, I think Ted Two is like a really good sequel. Um, I'm glad they kept on the same villain, which is like usually like not a great thing. Like you usually want to keep it fresh. But I I forgot how underutilized he is in this movie. Because he's utilized so much in the second movie. And he's so much funnier in the second movie. Um, hmm, I might have to watch Ted 2 now. Yeah. Sorry if I'm sorry if I'm rose-tinted glassing. I haven't seen it in a while, so if it's awful, yeah. I'm sorry about that. But, like, I remember it being, like, comedy-wise, pretty on par with this movie. Um, with, like, a, a arguably pretty better, much better plot, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and now I remember I was reading that thing about McFarlane Shaw humor. Like, when McFarlane Shaw humor, like, feels, like, kind of inspired when it's not just, like, something in, it works. Like, the joke at the end of the movie where Joel McHale's character is revealed on the wearably now to have died of Lou Gehrig's disease? Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. It's something just, yeah, <laughs> like, if they had said, and then he died of AIDS, it would be unfunny. Well, because it's something just so, like... I mean, Lou Gehrig's disease, like, obviously, like, n terrible, and a lot of people have it, but because it's not as common a thing... Yeah, like, it's 
it's like it's it's just the to be referenced yeah. in the culture it's it's, <laughs> it's it's pretty funny yeah absolutely yeah especially because like you're not expecting the thing is like because they're so used to oh yeah he's the the jerk who gets to come up and and really there's a come up and goes oh he falls into a depression and then later dies like it's... yeah oh man um this this movie um uh kind of pseudo steals a joke from uh i love you man but executes it a little worse um i think when like when like um marky mark and ted are fighting and like ted kind of says like ah like he she's she's probably just watching bridget jones some bullshit um and she is actually watching bridget jones diary later in the movie um that's a much less good version of the chocolate joke from I Love You Man, but I appreciate the style of joke um, being told anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ryan Reynolds is in this? Yeah, and he, briefly. Doesn't, he doesn't talk at all. <laughs> yeah, he's just there as Patrick Warburton's boyfriend, which is like... Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, I was, I was shocked how many of the jokes landed with me in this movie. Yeah, I'm like, is this the best film Ryan Reynolds has been in on the sofa this series? I'm like, oh, oh, man. Proposal maybe gets a bit of the edge. Maybe, but like, but... yeah. Oh, that's, I, w- I don't know if I would even... It's close. It's close. It's close. It's close. Yeah. And also, I, I, um, I want to amend something I've said. Um, when I said that Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 is like not as good as any of the movies on this list, I, I, spe- I, I, I want to clarify... The kiss is like on par with all these movies, um, like the thing that we actually grade. I feel like I, I, I regret not saying that when I said oh, it. Oh, so it's so it could have been. It could have. You know what? I, I I definitely I definitely like. Yeah, I'm like. Yeah. Are you saying the kiss and Ted is better than <laughs> no, the kiss and the, Breaking Dawn Part yeah, Two? Yeah, and this is a good segue into that. The kiss sucks. It's boring. Whether it's the one on the couch in the middle or it's the one at the end, it's just kind of boring and bland. What's great though. Oh my gosh, like this actually, like, this gave me like butterflies, um, when like Mila Kunis is like, like, uh, like, she's like, oh, like, I, I know I'm not a teddy bear, but like, blah, blah, blah. it's like, like, um, and then she says something to like the effect of like, you know, and you didn't have to wish for me. And then Mark Wahlberg says like, how do you know I didn't? Oh, that gave me, that gave me the most butterflies ever. Um, I think it's like. <laughs> It's like the one bit of well-executed, like, sweet moments in this movie. I I love this movie. I think this movie's hilarious. I don't think it does any of its, like, drama well at all, though. Um, Like, ah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, there's... I think there is something in that idea of, like, just needing to grow up a bit, but it is just something that it's that part of it is not as interesting as like the rest of the premise yeah so like whenever Um, it goes to that it's like this movie could have been amazing if this movie just subverted it right at the end it would also lead into the sequel so much better i'm assuming they didn't intend for that um like i i assume this isn't like a planned series but like i think if like the movie ended with him just like not growing up at all and then breaking up and then that feeding perfectly well into the sequel where that just does happen off screen um i think it would have led to like a less like a very a not good sweet way of ending the movie you could have ended it a little sweeter 
like maybe like like you know ted sort of comforts mark about the whole situation you know um but like that would have been like a really funny sort of subversion right at the end yeah um yeah yeah that would have been a good subversion and so i don't know if they ever or i'm sure they explain maybe like once or if there was some falling out between McFarlane or or Cunis, or if she was just like busy with other stuff. Or, like, yeah, I assume. Do it, but... I assume not, because I think she's still like Meg on Family Guy. Um, oh, that's yeah. True. I assume, and Lois played um, the mom at the beginning. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, looking at the production thing for Ted Two now. Originally, the film was going to be about. John and Ted trying to smuggle pot across the country, but then Weird the Millers came out, <laughs> and can, with concerns that it was too similar, they overhauled it to the one it had. And Mila Kunis is still in the sequel, but when the story got changed, it required a lawyer to be the female lead, and then they just didn't have room for her. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, I think the romance in the second one's a little better anyway. Um, yeah. Because, like, I always... Man, this is, like, a broader critique of, like, a lot of movies. I'm not a really big fan of, like, the... Oh, like, the one partner has to change, you know? Um, like, I understand, like... I understand, like, personal growth because you want to. But I always think it's, like, weird when, like, there's this weird caveat of, like, are you actually changing because you want to, or are you changing for this other person? I understand that maybe Ted isn't the best movie to explore that, like, very complicated, like, human experience phenomenon, but, um, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and I'll say, there's also something in where, yeah, Mila Kunis is, like, they really don't avoid much of her falling into, oh, just the drag female character. Like, they try and subvert it a bit by having her make the wish that brings Ted back in the end, but, like, it, by that point, it's, like, a little too little, too late, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like Ted, too, also does that a little better. Um, yeah, with, like, Amanda Seyfried yeah. as a lawyer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have any more notes about Ted um i i thought it was hilarious um a few jokes missed um but like a lot of jokes hit um like shockingly better than i remember yeah i was pleasantly surprised with ted for the for the most part and is like again it's nice from it's nice that like this film was as you know as good as it was because as much as like i can get frustrated with mcfarlane like i I, I do think that, like, he generally is, like, a, seems to be a nice guy, and, like, it, it's nice when he does stuff that's actually good and of a quality, like. Um, but with that, we can move on to our movie rankings, I think. Um, yeah. Um, so, quick disclaimer. These are all insanely close. I, like, they're, like, these are, these are... Uh, these are like these are saran wrapped together as close as they could be um that being said i think i gotta put perks of being a wallflower at the bottom um i i understand that's probably gonna upset a few people but i think i have like the 
me and you have like the opposite feelings about the ending but like um i love the ending a lot um but i originally had it so much higher i think i originally even had it at number one before i watched um silver lining but i think like the more i've gotten a chance to sit on it the more i think like i really love the ending i really like the movie the whole movie as a whole um yeah and like it and what above it, which is Ted, um, I think they are very different movies. And I feel like even having them on the same list is like a bit weird because they have totally different goals. Um, I just I enjoyed Ted more. So um, and then above that, I think I would put um, I would probably put Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I do enjoy this movie. It's super like colorful. Um, just a great all-around sort of like quaint experience. Um, and then um, I think with my number one spot, I think it'd have to go to Silver Linings Playbook with um, Django just below. These Again, th- these movies are so different. It's really hard to like rank them all. Honestly, if I could put them all in like a line across from each other, that would like be way better. Um, but like Silver Linings Playbook is just so... It's just, it creates such a visceral, amazing feeling. And Django does the same thing, but sort of at the other end where it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's very like, um, like kind of triumphant and, and like, I guess like it, it's epic. Um, whereas Silver Lining Playbook is like way more grounded and like, um, claustrophobic a lot of the times, like very, like I, I would have to go back and watch it, but I feel like even it's, even it's like shot composition like is very it's very close you know there's not a lot of like wide shots every even the dance scene is very close like it is it is a compact tense experience of a movie oh well yeah yeah again it's very like i i i'll say i i didn't love all of these films but like yeah very tight year like at the bottom yeah i have Pretty Sabina Wallflower. It's it's a film again. It's good. It's charming. It's just like that ending that I have a fair bit of issue with, as we've discussed. Then above that is Ted. Like again, funny movie. The drama could have been done better. It's but yeah, you know, it's nice to know that. Oh, wait. It's just nice that, like, a movie like Ted exists, I think. Even just for the joke of, oh, did you hear Ted go nominated for Best Shirtless Performance? Which is... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, what a... Like, there's gotta be other shirtless performances. It was definitely one of those things. And, like, you know what's weird? Well, you brought up one! Django! Yeah, J- oh, yeah, 100%. Django, like, has a nude scene um, from, like... like I, I, yeah, it is, it is baffling why they chose that. Um, like, I, I guess it's funny. Um, I guess the scene where Django is shirtless is a bit, is a bit, uh, um, but yeah, um, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, I would say, Silver Linings Playbook, probably? Like, you know, it's not much of a plot to it, but I think it's very charming. Those performances are, again, transcendent. Then, yeah, 
yeah, above that, Django Unchained with and Moonrise Kingdom as my number one. Like both, both like it's it's a difference between like Moonrise Kingdom just all the all the stuff in it. Like I love it so much, and Django is great, but also you know it's it's long and it's got a lot of rough stuff in there, and can like appreciate it as like a very, like, well-executed piece of art, but in terms of, like, pure enjoyment, I think, yeah, Moonrise Kingdom takes it for me, like, but how did the kisses do? Yeah, I also, I like that we, we both have, uh, perks in, like, in the bottom for, like, you have it there because, like, the movie's good and, like, the, uh, the ending takes it down, and I have it where, like, the movie's, like, mediocre, but the ending elevates it for me. I'm glad that those both, those both ended up in the exact same spot, though. I really, I think that's really yeah. I really appreciate that. But yeah, um, for the kisses, I think no no spoiler here. The Ted one goes at the very bottom. Um, as much as I love, yeah, as much as I love the little line before the middle one, um, both of them are which one you picked. Just boring. Um, and then these top four again tightly packed. Um, I think I would have to put it um, as perks of being a wallflower one. It's pretty good. Um, it's like it's it's very nice it's like i want someone to kiss you that loves you that's very sweet um and then the django one above that um we we kind of um i i i got such a satisfaction out of it um it started in the silhouette and then sort of panned over or sort of cut over to the to the actual kiss which is i thought that was really neat and then i think it's so tough ah Man, but I think the silver playbook one, I think, won me out over the Moonrise Kingdom one. Um, I think they're both great, uh, but just like the 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 zoom out, uh, it just it just camera wise swept me. Um, I think these are like minus Ted. These are all really great kisses on their own. But I think the the silver lining playbook had that additional like wow factor for me. Yeah. Definitely, like, good year for Kisses, except for Ted. Um, yeah, my, my ranking are similar. We got the Ted Kiss, then the Persevina Wallflower Kiss, and then the Django Unchained Kiss, and Kiss. But then, I think, like, and this just comes down to personal, like, pre preference, and just how sweet the Moonrise Kingdom Kiss is, and, like, the young love, and love i think i have to give that the edge uh, over silver linings playbook like silver linings playbook very good technical tricks to like create feeling and good performance too but yeah moonrise kingdom i think just takes it for me this year ah respectable yeah though i'm not mad at silver linings playbook one like hmm. yeah good good kiss good winner and yeah, that brings us to the end of 2013. Um, glad to see that we can still crest over the two-hour mark on these episodes again. But I feel we just had a lot to talk about that was just us talking about real stuff. Yeah, we, and, had, we had a lot of a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> yeah. So, recommendations of the week. What do you got, man? Oh, man. Okay, so um, I actually didn't, I didn't have one, but I just thought of one that's really, really good. Um, so there's a YouTube channel called Film Cow. Um, I'm not sure if 
uh, you're familiar with like the old internet cartoon Charlie the Unicorn? Yes, I'm really familiar with Charlie. That th- yeah, th- this is the guy that made that. Um, he makes a bunch of other hilarious cartoons, um, and also just like weird, just weird videos. Um, but he has a series. I think it's five episodes. That's just called Modern Titles. Um, they're like each like a minute and a half long. Um, they're just he just like takes like an old video game title screen and just modernizes it. It's such a weird video. It has like a running joke through all of them that just it tickles me pink. So definitely give those a chance. Um, and then just watch any of his other stuff. Like like it's all incredibly funny. Yeah. Well, Charlie, I have not thought about Charlie the Unicorn in a very long time. Um, so for me, and um, kind of, kind of just want to use my spot to highlight um a piece of a yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, I swear uh, this was like I had this in the tank before, like I got into oh man, white people talking about like Django and Chain race stuff, but. A piece of art I really enjoy from, like, uh, Regina King, who... I forget if Regina King did any, like, Best Kiss films. I feel like she probably had a supporting role in something, but, like, it is this movie that is on... It is streaming on Prime Video. It is called One Night in Miami. It is based on a play. It, like... And the premise of One Night in Miami, and, like, it's... A thing is, it's it's kind of about when Mah- when Muhammad Ali back like right before he kind of converts in was still Cassius Clay. The night he kind of wins his like first big title, uh, Muhammad like Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, football player Jim Brown, and then singer Sam Cooke who did What a Wonderful World. It would be, like, from Witness last week. I mean, I don't think it is a specific cover. But basically, like, those... Basically, these four really big figures in, like, 60s, like, pop culture, all black, kind of... The idea is they all sort of hung out together for a night. And this is a dramatization of, well, what was that about? And I think it's a really interesting film that, like, I love it a lot. It was at, like, festivals last year and did not really get Oscar attention. It got drowned out by all the kind of other stuff and it being a complicated year. But um, but it's a movie I uh, adore. It's, it's funny. It has, like, kind of these... I think it's a film that looks at this conversation about race, but then isn't just about race like it's about all kinds of things like power success and gives the room for these like kind of icons to come across as people and i again i love it a lot and you should check that out if you've never seen it and if you have seen it maybe you should re-watch it um yeah and it's on prime yeah. video um, i don't think regina king was in any of our kisses i tried to find that while you... yeah yeah, I'm. I am looking at. Yeah. I am looking at this up now, and she. Yeah. She is not, she but is she is a great Anthony. actress, and, and she's also like the two uh, main characters, uh, Huey and Riley from the Boondocks, which is like that's like I've I've watched like um like TikToks of like her voice acting. It's really really good. So a lot of range, directing, voice acting. Yeah. 
Yeah, she was in the Watchmen series. She had a pretty solid SNL appearance this year as a host. Um, and, yeah. And uh, with that, that takes us to plugs. What do you got this um, week, ben? So I have my Twitter, at uh, FuckAlby, as well as my Instagram, Not2Pens. I've spelled them before. Um, you'll find them. Um, uh, for those who are longtime listeners, I actually finished listening to all of Weezer. Um, but Kenny has informed me that they're going to be releasing four new albums next year, so I'm going to hold off. Um, I'm currently going through the rigorous process of um, mathematically rating each album. Um, I'm not sure what the name is of this kind of scale, but essentially they're ranked, um, the middle rank is zero, and everything to the to the lower than that is a negative number, and everything higher is a positive number, and that's how I'm getting them all ranked out. So I probably should know the answer to that because I'm literally taking a research methods class in school right now, and there's something looking at surveys and yeah. different types of scales. It's, it's they essentially use like that, it's but... a way of grading. It's a roundabout way of grading distribution because yeah. um, I didn't want to make any graphs. Yeah, Ben Not hates graphs. Fan. Anyways, um, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter and or Letterbox at like a Wolverine. Um, you can, yeah, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod. You can email us at pastagoldenpopcorn at gmail.com. Our theme song was by Matt Zamard, who I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with. Our artwork is with Ben, who I saw the movie <laughs> Sky High with, briefly mentioned uh. here. Um, just... Oh man, that'll wonder. Yeah. Is there a kiss in that? Do you remember? There is a kiss in that. How do we not pick that for host we'll have, choice? We'll have more than one episode. Wow. Yeah, but by then we'll be on different categories and we can cover more kisses. No one will care. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If you like the show, please let rate, review, subscribe reach out to us let us know tell your friends to listen to it um and yeah with with that um all we have left to do is talk about next week so 2014 quite the year quite the year um kind of the may maybe the weirdest year we're ever going to cover on this podcast it's a throwback it's seeming, seemingly of trying to do adult dramas with some exceptions, but for 2014, Best Kiss, the nominees are Ashley Benson, James Franco, and Vanessa Hudgens, Spring Breakers, Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams, American Hustle, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Scarlett Johansson, Don John, Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller, The Spectacular Now, and the winner, Emma Roberts, Jennifer Aniston, and Will Poulter, We're the Millers. Not only is this like a year with like two three-way kisses, it's also a lot of returning members. Um, Like compiled all, yeah, we got like uh, Jennifer Aniston, we just had Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Vanessa Hudgens. James, oh no, James Franco, I think. This is his first outing? So now he has two. No, he, he, he got milk. He did get milk, and he's about to get the interview yeah, m- next, next week. 
Um, yeah, Frank. Oh, oh God, we have to talk about James Franco, also a problematic person. Oh man. Oh, God, in 2015, we have to talk about James Franco and Ansel (laughs) Elgort? Oh, boy. Listen. It's fine. It's fine. If we can do slavery, we can do these We could barely do slavery. (laughs) (laughs) So we can barely do these guys. We've talked about problematic (laughs) actors before. It's less of a... It's less of a thing, but... Yeah. Listen, we're here. We're here to judge the kiss, not the not yeah. character. You know, we're not we're not we're, God. Yeah, but yeah, but next week will be fun. We're gonna have a guest. It's our first guest who's listened to the podcast before being on it. So I'm very excited about that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, until next time, um, keep you keep passing that golden popcorn and just remember. We can be heroes just for one day. <laughs> Listen, that song in your tunnel, that's going to change your whole life. Oh, yeah. The, we didn't, we never talked about, like, how Emma Watson and Hogan Lerman both stand up on, like, the back of the truck during the tunnel, but that looked really cool and fun to do. It did. Yeah, I'll make, I'll make so sure. So try that at home, kids. <laughs> exactly. Wait, Listen. maybe don't. I don't know if that's safe or not. If you don't, yeah. you're going to be a teenager forever. Was that what that was about? <laughs> God. I don't know. Coming of age movies are weird because are all the metaphors about coming Lots of age of or are only some of them? Anyways, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye, Zeus. <laughs>